Good evening and welcome to our uh, midweek Bible study. Always good to come and open God's Word and, and uh, study together. I'm going to ask, uh, be, I, I'm not going to do an announcement tonight. I'm just going to ask you to open your Bibles. To, go to 1 Corinthians 10. I'll put the scripture reference behind me on the screen. 1 Corinthians 10 is where I want you to go. Because I'm going to read some things before we do our, our text here. You should have that reference. 1 Corinthians 10, Landon. Or, there it is, there it is. Okay, just to remind you, I want you guys to know we're going to start. Because we come in chapter 32 of, of uh, Exodus tonight. And uh, this, this really is one of the more shocking chapters in the Bible, in the Old Testament here. Because it really illustrates the danger of spiritual compromise. It's Aaron the high priest, the, the brother of Moses, who makes this huge compromise. I mean, this ranks up with like David's great compromise where he uh, commits adultery, uh, commits murder. I mean, he compromised everything it was to be a follower of God. Uh, Aaron does the same thing here. Peter, in the New Testament, remember his denial three times. I'll never, I'll never deny you, Lord. And yet he denied the Lord three times. Again, compromise. When we compromise in any area, Christian, we're going to struggle. We're going to commit sin. As soon as you compromise in any way as a believer, you're going to commit some kind of sin. In this case, it's Aaron and his great failure. Now, here's the thing about Aaron. Aaron had the staff in his hand when God brought the ten plagues against the Pharaoh and the Egyptian gods. Remember, he was there. He witnessed the power of God over and over and over ten times. Then he gets to the edge of the Red Sea, and God does another unworldly miracle. I mean, not explained by any natural phenomenon. The Red Sea parts, and the children of Israel walk across the Red Sea on dry ground. And then he gets into the desert, wandering around the desert, and there's no water. And the water comes out of a rock from the nowhere. Another miracle. Manna falling from heaven, the quail. So this man, Aaron, has witnessed the power of God in, in great ways. So if anyone shouldn't be compromising, it's this man, Aaron. And yet this chapter, he yields to the people. The people are whining and complaining, as we're going to see and Aaron yields to their requests, and he fashions from their golden earrings, he fashions a golden calf, an idol. The question is, how could a man that, that walked with Moses, the one that heard the voice of the Lord, how could a man that witnessed all the things that he did from God fail so miserably? Now, again, when we read these stories in the Bible, don't just look at them as an account in history that it's, it's way off in the distance, it doesn't mean anything, or you can't apply it because you can apply everything in the Scripture. And that's how we apply this. We do not want to be people as Christians that compromise because as soon as you do, you're going to find yourself like David, like Peter, and like in our story tonight, Aaron. So let's pray, and then we're going to look at 1 Corinthians. We'll 1 Corinthians is going to be the text I'd like on the screen behind me. That's where we're going to start. 1 Corinthians, there it is. Father, thank you for your love and grace. I thank you, Father, that we have this ability to come and gather together 
and study your word. And Lord, teach us as we read beginning with the New Testament passage and then work our way into this text tonight. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't isolate ourselves from what happened to Aaron and the children of Israel. I pray that we would be forewarned about any area of spiritual compromise that we are about ready to embark on, a decision we're about ready to make that is in disregard to the truth of your word. So Lord, teach us, and, and we want to learn from your word. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Again, how could Aaron have compromised? Now, the reason I have you here in 1 Corinthians, we're going to start in verse 1. You're going to see what I'm talking about here. Notice in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, moreover brethren, Paul writes, I don't want you to be unaware that all of our fathers were under the cloud. Who's he referring to? Who was under the cloud? Children of Israel. And they all passed through the sea, and they all were baptized into Moses uh, in the cloud and in the sea. They all ate the spiritual, same spiritual food. That's the manna and the quail. They all drank from the spiritual drink. That was the water from the rock. They, they drank of the spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. So all of the things in the Old Testament are pointing to something, something, someone. Again, we see in the person Moses a type of Christ. And Paul is helping us to understand that. Notice verse 5, but when, uh, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for their bodies were scattered in the wilderness. They died, right, because they disobeyed God. Now these things became our examples, these things became our examples. Why do we read and study the Old Testament? These things become our what? What? Examples. That's why we read the Old Testament. That's why we spend time studying the scriptures to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they lusted and do not become idolaters as some of them as it's written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose to play. That verse we're going to read tonight in Exodus 32. Paul is referring exactly to what we're reading about here tonight in the Old Testament. That's the, that's the connection that I want you to see. Verse 8, nor let us commit sexual immorality as some of them did. And in one day, 23,000 fell. Nor let us tempt Christ as some of them also tempted and were destroyed by serpents, nor complain as some of them also complained and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, all of these things happened to them as examples, and they were written for our admonition, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Therefore, let us who thinks he stands take heed lest he, what? You've read that before. The Old Testament is written for you and I, to read, to understand, to study, and apply to our lives. And the way we apply the text, as you now turn, go ahead and turn to uh, Exodus chapter 32. The way we apply this is, is the great compromise that Aaron is going to do. Any of us can compromise at any time. We need to be very, very careful when it comes to spiritual compromise. So Paul's application here as if you think you'd never do what Aaron did and the children of Israel that were judged, if you don't think you'd do that, then you better think again. 
because we're all vulnerable to this kind of compromise. So there's lots for us to learn. So we come to our first point here tonight in the first four verses, spiritual compromise. Here it is. Look at verse 1 of Exodus 32. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed coming down from the mountain, the people gathered together to Aaron and said to him, come, make us gods or idols that shall go before us. For as for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what happened to him. Maybe he's dead. And Aaron said to them, break off the golden earrings which are in your ears of your wives, your sons, your daughters, and bring them to me. So all the people broke off the golden earrings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and he fashioned it with an engraving tool and he made a molded calf. Then they said, they said, the people said about this golden calf, they said, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. So they're running around. There's too many million people, remember. So they say, see what Aaron has fashioned. Aaron has made this purposely with his own hands. And they see what he's made. And so they're excited about this. Moses is dead. Moses is gone. But hey, we have this new idol to worship. We have something we can see, something visual that we can associate with God. And here's this idol. Interestingly, it was 40 days before God said, don't make an idol of me. That was number one. Remember the first commandment. So they're breaking the, the very first commandment. Now, again, let me start by saying that this account is, is shocking in a sense. It's surprising uh, because of who Aaron was and what Aaron has already experienced by witnessing all the wonderful things God has done. I mean, these were miracles that are, we always call it an epic or biblical scale, parting the Red Sea, the plagues, the 10 plagues, uh, just so indescribable that they affected the people so greatly that finally the Egyptians and Pharaoh said, get out of here. We want the children of Israel gone. And God delivered his people through Moses, this man that, that was doing all these acts of faith, and God was working through Moses to do all of these plagues. Now, Aaron has seen all that. He stood there next to his brother, and he's watched everything. Now, as I read this story, I, I've studied it quite a bit um, over the last week, and it's my understanding that, that it's not what it really seems. In other words, Aaron isn't leading the people in a total apostasy by creating an idol that, that um, is only to be worshipped as a gold idol. Aaron really has in his mind, he's got the right thing in his mind. He wants the people to worship, but he's compromising by making this idol. So he still believes in God. He believes in what God's done, but it's the compromise that we see in his life. Um, I, I don't see Aaron totally rejecting God, although there are people that will die as a result of their rejection of God here in, in our story tonight. But what they're doing here, what, what Aaron is doing, he's kind of tweaking this whole idea of one God, one true God with where they've just come from. Where did they come from? 400 years of what? Bondage. They've been in 
a society, the Egyptian culture, which even today, you know, you see the pyramids. They were building these ziggurats, these pyramids to God, and they, they believed in the afterlife, and they worshipped all kinds of gods. Remember, the ten plagues, each one is associated with a specific god in Egypt, and God was attacking each one of the gods through each one of the individual plagues. If you go back and read it, you'll see that. And so these people were highly religious. They were into idolatry, Egypt. So the Children of Israel have learned that. They've seen it for 400 years. And so what, what we're seeing here is this, this kind of amalgam, of this joining together of, of the true God with this idol, this golden calf, and merging the concepts together after all this time uh, in bondage in Egypt. Because if you notice, just after Aaron makes the golden calf, the people... They start proclaiming here. They, they proclaim about God. Now, again, in verse 4, he says, And he received the gold from their hand, and he fashioned it with engraved tools, and he made a molden calf. So he makes this, and he's merging the true God with this idol in the story. So that's why I don't believe it's total apostasy. It's definitely a compromise, and it's definitely a sin, and it's wrong. But I think he has the right idea that he, he wants the people to worship. He's a high priest. He's the one God selected to lead the people in worship. But he's off right now. He's way off. Um, I think he's under pressure because the people, as we'll see uh, as the story progresses here. So it all begins in verse 1 by this delay. Notice in verse 1, Moses' delay in coming down. Remember, the people, since back in chapter 19, Moses has gone up on the hill, and they're afraid. Thunderings, lightnings, earthquakes. Remember the people, they, they've been at the foot of the mountain. And every time Moses goes up there to talk to God, the manifestation of Moses being there is the earth is shaking. They're fearful. The thundering, the voice of God, it just all represents what God was doing and speaking to Moses there. But the people are down at the foot of the mountain quaking in their boots. They're afraid. Moses has been gone for 40 days. They believe this delay, maybe he's dead. I mean, they're afraid. He's up on top of that mountain. It's like a volcano going off. How could he live? They, they think because of his delay that they're wondering if he died up there. Truth is, in the story, he's on his way down. He's actually walking down the mountain. I don't know how long it took him to get down, but he's coming down the mountain at the same time. But these people aren't going to wait for Moses. They're going to act impulsively. They're going to act uh, with compromise to what they've been taught and what they've been told here. And that's where we get the application about being impatient. How many of us, don't raise your hand because I think everyone would, how many of us are impatient when it comes to asking the Lord for something in your life? You want God to do something in your life, something for your family members, something for your husband or wife or your children, and you begin to pray and it doesn't happen right away and it's like, Lord, it's like you, you, you kind of get impatient. You want something to happen, so what do you do? You fabricate it in some way. You, you step out ahead of God in some way, and you start to move in your flesh to do something, wanting God to bless it, you know, somehow, and which is always the wrong way. It's always the right thing to do is to wait on the Lord. You wait on the Lord. You don't run out ahead of him. You don't lag behind. You just wait on the Lord. That's what it means to walk by faith. We don't run. We don't 
we don't uh, go impatiently in front of the Lord. We wait on the Lord here. If we don't wait on the Lord, we just really expose ourselves to compromise, which is what Aaron does here. The mature Christian or the growing believer learns how to wait. Psalm 27, verse 14, notice this behind me on the screen. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. We're weak, and it's like, oh, Lord, I don't know what to do. I need, and then God strengthens our heart to help us to wait. God has perfect timing for every answer to every prayer. Yes, no, wait. I'm sure you have experienced that before as a believer. You've experienced that answer. You need to wait on me. It's like Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trusting in the Lord with all your heart, not leaning on your own understanding, not trying to manipulate the situation, but in all your ways you acknowledge him and he will what? Direct your paths. God will do it. You have to wait on the Lord. Any kind of spiritual shortcut will always lead to some kind of compromise. I think we've all been there. And so we can empathize here with Aaron in a sense. But these people, they couldn't wait. They want a user-friendly idol, idol that they can start looking at, seeing, and worship. That's what they want. So Aaron comes up with this compromise, this little golden idol. Verse 2, Aaron said to them, break off your golden earrings and bring all the gold to me. And Aaron's great sin begins right there. Instead of confronting the people and say, wait, wait, stop right here. Instead of being a spiritual leader and saying, we're not doing this. This is wrong. We're going to wait on the Lord. We're going to wait for my brother. God is too good. He's, he hasn't brought us out here to, to leave us and abandon us. We need to wait. Instead of doing that, Aaron's looking around. He doesn't see his brother, and he's the leader, and he, he gets all flustered. I'll tell you, spiritual leadership is really important in a church. Men, spiritual leadership is key in your home. If you, as a man, refuse to take that mantle of leadership spiritually, I'm talking about leading in prayer, reading the Bible, encouraging your wife and your children. If you're not doing that, they're going to go in all these different directions, and you're going to find yourself in a place of compromise. Spiritual leadership is huge. It's, it's really important. Aaron Instead of confronting the people, he launches out and does the wrong thing. He compromises here, making an idol to calm the people down. It's the way I see it. And notice here in verse 5, they're going to worship the golden calf. So Aaron saw it, verse 5, and he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow is a feast to the Lord. So he has Yahweh in mind. He He's the priest. He knows what it means to make sacrifice and, and worship the Lord, Yahweh. So that's where I say he, he's compromising. He isn't full-on apostate here. He's just, he knows he wants to worship the Lord. So he's kind of timidly leading, unsure, compromising. And then they rose early, verse 6, the next day. They offered burnt offerings, brought peace offerings, and then the, then the people do this. Notice what it says. They sat down to eat, and they rose up to play. So Aaron, he's basically saying this in verse 5. He, he says, okay, uh, you guys can have your idol, but we're going to worship the Lord. We're going to do the right thing and, and burn the sacrifice. We're going to do the things that we're supposed to do. And we're going to have the peace offerings, the burnt offerings, and we're going to have this big feast to the Lord. And the people are, feast, party on. You know, they're, they're excited about this, but they're not 
looking at the Lord. That's the problem. And Aaron is not leading them to the Lord. He's allowed this idol in his compromise. He's allowed this idol to get in between him and the, the people and, and, and the worship of God. His compromise was, we can have it both ways. I, I'll please the people by making this idol, and, and I'll please the Lord by, by incorporating worship. We'll have this amalgam here of, of these two views. There's a lot of things I could say. We compromise as Christians in so many ways. A couple of things I say I always offend people, so I'm not going to say. I'm not going to be offensive tonight. But we as Christians do. We, we compromise we have to be very, very careful that we don't try to tie th- worldly things with spiritual things. Be very careful, Christian, that you don't do that and make excuses. Well, you know, if that medicine helps me, then it's the right thing for me. And is it the right thing? Well, well the, I, I go to this, this secular person that tells me and gives me wisdom. They don't use the Bible. They just tell you all this secular wisdom. But that's good for me. It helps me. Does it really help you? Is it true? What does God's word say? Are you going beyond the scriptures for your counsel and advice and wisdom for this world? You're going to have a problem. You're going to compromise. The Christian needs to know that God's word is truth and that we need to walk by faith and believe in the word of God and not compromise or water down the truth of God's word. So Aaron's compromise, you can have it both ways, the idol and this worship of God. Rather, helping the people turn away from the idol, he kind of leads them right into it. And and so the compromise degenerates really rapidly here. If you notice at the end of verse 6 there, they they rose early. They're all excited about this feast. They offered their burnt offerings first thing in the morning. They brought peace offerings, and then... They sat down, they kicked back, they, and they, the party, really the party was on there. They began to eat and drink, and then they rose up to play. That, that phrase, rise up to play, you can look at it, it's, it's, it really has the idea of sexual immorality. Later on, we find out they were dancing naked. Uh, this is, this, they didn't get up to just say, oh, great, God is good, and here we have a calf, and dance around it. They were nude. They were doing sexually immoral things. When you read that text, you, you'll see that. It reminds me of like Burning Man or something in the desert. I mean, this first Burning Man right here, here it is, where you can do whatever you want. You can take whatever drug. There's no laws, no rules. Dress, live, say, be whatever you want. And, oh, it's, it's, it's hundreds, how many, three to 400,000 people did it just recently in the desert. The corrupt nature of man. And Aaron, instead of standing up, and leading, he allows this, this amalgam here of, of both worship and the calf, the idol. And, and it just degenerates into this no boundaries, do whatever you want. This drunken orgy really is what's going on. Look at verse 7 here where we have God's judgment now. And the Lord said to Moses, so <laughs> this is interesting. God sees and he knows it all. He says, get down, Moses. For your people, for your people, notice that, for your people, Moses, whom you brought out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them, and they have made themselves a molded calf. And they worshiped it and sacrificed to it and said, 
this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. God knows exactly what's going on. But did you notice something interesting about that? God is now saying to Moses, your people, these are your people suggesting to Moses that, that in a sense, God was saying, you know, I, I'm disowning. I'm going I'm to isolate myself a little bit from you and your people because of their sin. I mean, that's kind of what, what we're seeing here if you read it in that way. And then and God says there in verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way which I commanded them. Now, that's an understatement, isn't it? When you think about what they're doing, God says they've, they've kind of turned aside quickly. Well, yeah, massively. That's what they're dancing nude around this golden calf. Now, God perfectly describes everything that's happened here. He even quotes the words of the people here in verse 8. Eight, the end of verse 8, this is your God, O Israel, that brought you out of the land of Egypt. In other words, God knows exactly what's going on down the mountain while he's instructing Moses up on the mountaintop. And the people have ignored God. They've turned their back on God. But God never ignores his people. God is always watching. Your sin will find you out. Your compromising way, God sees it. I mean, it's like, well, Pastor Lee, can you be a little nicer tonight? God sees the hearts of his people. He loves you. He loves you so much, he doesn't want you to go in that path, but he knows what you're doing. You can't hide from the all-seeing eyes of God. You, You can't. You can't hide your sin from the Lord. And then Notice God's amazing offer here to Moses, verse 9. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people, and indeed it's a stiff-necked people or stubborn people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them. What do you think that means? I'm going to kill them. I'm mad. I'm going to wipe them out. That's really what he's saying there. And I will make you. You're the only righteous one here. Aaron and the rest of them down the mountain, they failed. You're the only one. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to invest in you now because I have a promise that I'm going to keep. So this is really interesting. This, I see this more as a test for Moses here. First, he calls the people stubborn or stick, stiff-necked. And then he makes this remarkable offer to Moses. If Moses agrees here to this offer, God's going to consume Israel and start over again with Moses. I'll make you a great nation, verse 10. And God is very clear to Moses, implying that if Moses does nothing, he's going to wipe out the people. So Moses has to now step up. He has to make a decision. What's he going to do? What's Moses going to do? Is he going to intercede? Is he going to be the mediator that God has made him over the people between God and man? That's That's the role he's been playing, remember? He's been going between the people to the mountain, to the people to the mountain, all this. He's the mediator. He's a type of Christ in the Old Testament. He's the mediator between a holy God and a sinful people. So now God is really challenging him through this experience. Are you going to do it? Are you going to step up and become this mediator or not? What are you going to do? So Moses has this decision here. If he doesn't do anything, God's going to wipe these people out. So God's judgment here of Moses and the people is what now drives Moses to do something which we should all do. Notice what he does. He prays, or as I've titled it here, he intercedes. Moses intercedes. Look at verse 11. Then Moses pleaded with the Lord. He's praying. 
He said, Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against, notice now what he says, your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with, with great power. I don't have any power. I, don't, I can't do this. These are your people. You're the one that brought them out. You're the one that did the plagues. You're the one that's done all these things with your mighty hand. Verse 12, why should the Egyptians then speak and say, well, that God was strong and brought them out to kill them, to harm them in the mountains and consume them from the face of the earth? Lord, that's not right. This isn't right. Now, see what Moses is doing here. He's interceding now. He's interceding for these people. It's a beautiful truth. He says, turn your fierce wrath. And then the word relent, or if you have a King James, it says repent from this harm to your people. Verse 13, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants to whom you swore. Remember your covenant. Remember your promise to them by your own self. You said, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heaven, and all the land I have spoken of, I will give it to your descendants, and they shall inherit it forever. So he's reminding God, 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 these are your people. I I didn't bring them out here. I don't have the power to sustain them. You've been doing it, God. You've been doing all of these wonderful things. In fact, you've even promised. And God, what about the Egyptians? They're just going to say, look at that God brought them out to wipe them out. He brought them out of the land, took them to the desert, let them die. What kind of God is that? I I love the logic of of Moses here. And next, his next appeal in this prayer, notice in verse 12, why should the Egyptians speak again? Don't let the Egyptians do this to you. Don't let anybody think about you like that. You're a gracious God. You're a good God. You're a loving God. That's really what he's saying there. G. Campbell Morgan, one of my favorite commentators, said this. He said, Moses was filled with compassion for the people, but his chief concern was for the honor of the name of God. I love that. Aaron was not honoring the Lord, Moses his whole concern with, these are your people, you've done all these things, only you could powerfully bring them out, only you could sustain them. God, you've done that. Oh, it's, it's for your name. You need to do this for your great name. You're so gracious, you're so kind. That's what he's saying, his appeal. And then notice what the amazing result is here in verse 14. God relents of his anger. This, this verse is really important. I want to take a little bit of time here. So the Lord relented from the harm which he said he would do to his people. That word to relent there in the Hebrew is nacham. And in the King James, that word is the Lord repented. Uh, In the New American Standard, I believe it's relent. There's different words and different ways it's phrased in the different translations. But the important thing is, is that the Lord relented here. He didn't repent. He didn't have anything to repent of. God is sovereign. God knows what he's doing. One of the authors that I I was reading, he entitled this section here, The Man Who Caused God to Repent. I thought that was a very creative title. But, But here's the question here. Did God change his mind? That's the question. Did God change his mind here? That's a very interesting question as a result of what? Moses' prayer, Moses' intercession, Moses' mediation here. I I love that truth. 
in one sense, God had a plan. He's sovereign. He set out to do what he was going to do, and this was part of his sovereign plan. Nothing surprises God. Nothing. He's sovereign. He knows. But he uses situations in men's lives to guide providentially. Remember that word? I love that word. He works providentially in the lives of people and nations and kings. God is always in control. He's never out of control. He knew exactly what he was doing here. Really, the short answer is is no. He didn't change his mind, but he was working in the mind and heart of Moses as the mediator. And he's working in the lives of these people because his purpose was already ordained. His purpose is sovereign. His purpose is set. He knows what he's doing. I love what James says in James 1.17. He says, there is no shadow of turning in the Lord. In other words, God doesn't change his mind. God knows what he wants to do. He has a plan, and he carries out that plan. So God knew that he wasn't going to destroy his people. He made a promise to them. But he deliberately puts Moses into this place where Moses has to come and intercede and be that mediator. That's what we're learning in this, that Moses has to move into that place of intercession. Why? So that we could see in the heart of Moses a pre-picture, a type of Christ, and how Jesus would one day intercede on the behalf of us, a sinful people. So we're seeing that parallel in Moses and in Christ, this type of Christ here that Moses portrays. So Moses prays just as God planned for him to pray, and then he changes the heart of Moses. So we go from your people to, no, your people. And the heart of Moses now is is being changed, and God is accomplishing his original purpose here. And I, I believe that God wants us to pray this way. He wants us to intercede for one another. He wants us to pray uh, with uh, power in a sense, praying that God has this ability and God, you can change the situation that I think is changeless. You can make a difference in a place where I think it's, it's overwhelming. God can do those things. He wants us to pray. He wants us to meet together. He wants us to do it together. He wants us to do it individually, but to pray. Again, whenever I read this story, and it's one of those stories for a pastor, and I know Frank or anyone else listening, if you've done any work as a pastor, this, this, this is serious stuff. The, the, the senior pastor, the pastor of the church is praying for you. I wake up at night praying for you. It, I, it's a privilege, but I wake up a lot. You guys need to get right here so I don't have to wake up. So No, 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 I'm just kidding. <laughs> There's a lot going on in our fellowship that you don't even know. And, and I wake up, my wife wakes up at night. I wake up and she's not there. She wakes up and I'm not in bed. I'm upstairs praying. And this just brings it home to me. The elders in this church are serious. They're men that love to pray. Frank runs the men's prayer. You're invited to come on Thursday nights and just pray with the men. The elders are serious. They come up front after services and they pray with you. We believe in prayer. We believe that God uses prayer to change situations. 
God changes situations through people who come to him in prayer. And we're seeing that in the life of Moses here. God wants you and I to be an intercessor just like Moses is. And notice in verse 15, Moses now comes down the mountain. He's going to confront his brother. This is really interesting, verse 15. Moses turned and went down from the mountain, and the two tablets of the testimony were in his hand. What are those? Remember, Ten Commandments. The tablets were written on both sides, and on one side and on the other they were written. Now, the tablets were the work of God. In other words, he authored them. This is the finger of God. Remember last week I was talking about those tablets. You, you think you have an artifact. How about a tablet of stone written by the finger of God? That's a pretty serious artifact. And the tablets, they have God's fingerprint all over them. Verse 17, and when Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, now Joshua is the one that went halfway up the mountain with, with Moses, and Moses went the rest of the way. So Joshua, uh, Moses has come down the mountain, Joshua's met him, they're walking down the mountain, they're hearing, they're hearing this orgy going on, they're hearing, what's going on down there, what's, what's happening? Joshua heard the noise, the people, as they shouted, he said to Moses, hey, it's like war in the camp. Moses said, it's not the noise of shout of victory, nor the noise of a cry of defeat, but the sound of singing, playing that I hear. They're not fighting, they're partying. That's really what he's saying there. So Moses and Joshua, they, they come down from their extended time up on the mountain, 40 days. They're coming down the mountain here. And again, Moses has these two tablets of stone. They're not massive. Like You see pictures of Moses, you know, and they're like, four-ton stones he's carrying around like he's super strong. No, they're just these little tablets. He's holding these tablets in his arms. And he comes down the hill with these, these tablets. Now, what are the tablets? What are the Ten Commandments? Those are God's standards. This is God's covenant with his people. You need to live up to the standard. This is a brand new nation. God's given these brand new laws. He wants his people to follow, and he wants his people to obey. His standard, not theirs, not Egyptians, not other nations. He's got new standards for his new nation and all these people. And these standards will not change. They didn't change for these people. They don't change for you and I. Although we don't have to live under the law, we're under who? Who are we under? Christ. But, but the standard there, the standard is important. The standard helps us to understand we are sinners and that we need Christ, right? That's what the law is for. But the law is the standard. So Moses comes down the hill with, his, with the law in his hands. Verse 19, so it was as soon as he came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing. So Moses got angry here. He got hot, it says, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. A lot, there's a lot going on there. You could say symbolic of they broke the law, so he broke the law. I'm not sure if you, that's the right way to look at that. But Moses, he, he's just interceding. He's just been begging. He's been praying to God for mercy. And then in just a moment, he gets down the hill, and he sees what God was telling him about. Now he's mad. He's hot. Now, you remember Moses. Moses is a hothead. Moses got really upset at the Egyptian, and what did he do to the Egyptian years before? Killed him, got mad, killed him. In this case, he gets mad at the people. Later on, he's going to get mad at a rock, and instead of saying, rock, pour out your water, he's going to be disobedient to God. What's he do? Remember? He strikes the rock out of anger. He had an anger issue, Moses did. 
I, I think leaders, sanguines, leaders have anger issues. Pray for your pastor. <laughs> I don't beat rocks or people with sticks or anything. Don't, don't go that far. But, but he's got this, this issue here. He's angry. He's been begging the Lord, and now he's mad. The King James, if you have a King James Bible, I love what it says, Moses waxed hot. I love that. Hot wax there with Moses. Why? Because they broke the law. The people deliberately and willfully broke God's law with this idolatry. The first of the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not have any idols. No idols. I don't want you to make any idols. Love me, no idols. And no idols of me. That was really what the, the commandment states. Don't make any idols of me. I don't want you having any images of me. But they have an idol. They have this golden calf there that they're worshiping. So Moses breaks the stone tablets because those people had broken the law. But, but it's what he does here in verse 20 and 21 that really, really helps define his uncompromising position. Unlike his brother Aaron, Moses will not compromise. Then he took the calf. So look what Moses does. He goes right up to the calf. He burned it in the fire. He ground it to powder. He scattered it on the water and made the people drink it. (laughs) Talk about bitter water. I mean, if you have uh, metal in your water, it's really nasty. Rust in the water, can you imagine? He grinds it up and makes them drink this bitter water. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought this great sin on them? It's you, you're the leader. You were down here. What did you do? What did they do? What did they say? And why did you lead them in the wrong way? Again, Moses, uncompromising, goes right to the idol. He doesn't say, who made it? What's going on? Stop your dancing. He just walks right through the, the naked drunken orgy. He goes right to that calf, throws it in the fire. I mean, he's mad. I don't know how he ground it up. I, I don't know. You know, you can heat it up, I guess, and beat it up. I, I can just see him just whacking away at that golden him. He's mad. And then he throws it in the water, and he makes the people drink the water. It's really interesting uh, what's happening here. And then Aaron Aaron, the leader, Aaron, look what he does. Look at, listen to his excuse. So Aaron said, don't let the anger of my Lord become hot. See, Moses is mad. I mean, you, his veins are popping out. His eyes are flaming. Or he's mad. And Aaron tries to calm him down. You know the people. They're set on evil. Moses, you know how they act. And they said to me, make us a God that shall go before us. As for this Moses, they thought you were dead. You had gone out of the land of Egypt. We, we don't know what's become of him. Again, there's no doubt that Aaron was afraid. He's afraid of the people. They threatened him in some way. That we're not told, but he was afraid of the people. He was afraid to lead. He was afraid to stand and say, we're not doing this. We're going to wait for my brother. You guys need to wait on the Lord. He compromised because he was afraid of, of the people. But n- Moses knows that as the leader, he and his brother Aaron are supposed to lead the people, not allow them to stray, not allow them to compromise. Again, that's another calling of a pastor with God's word. And people want to compromise. They come to their pastor and they ask things all the time. What about this? Can a Christian do that? Can a Christian do that? 
You know, and, and the wise pastor is going to open the word of God and say, you read it. I do it all the time. My best, best meth, method of counseling is I'll, I'll listen, I listen, and then I'll open the scriptures and I'll say, you read it. And then they read it, and it's, it's, always, it's always, well, most of the time, most of the time, unless they're just defiant sinners. They look at me with these big eyes like, well, I'm not that bad. Well, yes, you are. That's what the, are you doing that? Then, yeah, you're, that's you. That's, this scripture is for you. It's speaking to you. <laughs> Pastor Lee, I mean, you're really harsh and encounter. Hey, you read the, it's the God's word. It's God's word. It's not a wise counselor, a wise pastor will always do that. He's going to lead you in uncompromising. He's going to stand with the word of God as his counselor, as his guide, as, as the standard. Any other way is just sinking sand. It's, it's, it's just, it won't work. So this is interesting. Aaron here lies to Moses. Listen to what he says. Look at verse 24. And I said to them, whoever has any gold, let him break it off. So they gave it to me. I threw it in the fire and it became a calf. Do you see that? I mean, isn't that typical of a sinner? When you're busted and somebody comes up to you and you are full-on busted, your hand is in the cookie jar, and I told you not to touch those cookies, and your, your son or daughter goes, oh, I didn't touch cookies. You know, that's what, that's what Aaron is doing here. He's blame-shifting. It's what Adam and Eve were, that's what, exactly what Adam did with Eve. He went to God and he said, uh, you gave her to me. It, you're the one that gave her to me, remember? Remember in Genesis? Blame shifting is part of a sin-filled heart and a sin-filled name. It's part of compromise. You start blame shifting and compromise and you're going to find yourself going down just as Aaron does here. And then he lies to his brother. I threw it into the fire and a calf came out. It was a miracle. But it didn't just happen. You go back to verse 4. He fashioned it. That's what the scripture says. He actually melted the gold. He molded it. He, he scraped off the ears, you know, and scraped the eyebrows. He, did, he actually fashioned it with his little tool. So Aaron, he compromised, told a lie. It's, it's leading him further and further and further away from God because it's, it's much easier to go along with the people than to stand in the truth of God. Christian, that needs to echo in your heart and mind. It is easier to compromise. It is much harder to, to go upstream as a believer. It's, it's much harder to stand firm in your foundation and say, I will not do this. I'm not going to go with the crowd on this. I'm not going to go with. It doesn't matter. Right is right no matter if anyone is doing it. Wrong. It's wrong. It's always wrong. Christian needs to live God's standards and know God's standards. Compromise always leads to sin. That's what we're learning from this story. And here's what I found in Deuteronomy today in my study. Moses not only interceded for the people, but for his brother who's just lied to him. 
he has every right to say, okay, God, you want to take my brother out? I mean, he lied to me, open-faced, saying he threw the gold in. I mean, I don't know if he's laughing or not. If I was Moses, I might even laugh at my brother. You're kidding me. Are you kidding? You threw it in the water and a gold calf came out. But in Deuteronomy 9, look at this verse here behind me on the screen. It says, and the Lord was very angry with Aaron and would have killed him. So Moses, I prayed for Aaron at the same time. Moses, the great prayer mediator, the intercessor, he prayed. He prayed. Now, in verse 25 and 26, we get this challenge here. Moses challenged. Look at verse 25. Now, when Moses saw that the people were unrestrained, another word for immoral, for Aaron hadn't restrained them to their shame among their enemies, then Moses stood in the entrance of the camp and said, whoever is on the Lord's side, come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered themselves together to him. So here's the ultimatum. Moses says, listen, you're either going to be <clears throat> following this idol worship or you're going to be following me because I'm following the Lord. What are you going to do? You guys have to make a choice here. Which side do you want to be on? There's only two sides. It's same today. Compromise leads us into many different paths, but there's really only two sides. There's God's side, God's word, or the devil's, Satan. There's only really two paths. And so Moses gives that ultimatum again when we fall into any kind of compromise spiritually. The only way back is to turn from our sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to what? Forgive us our sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's what the Christian, you should do that every day. Confess your sin. Oh, well, I'm, I'm really a pretty nice guy. I'm, I don't sin. Liar. You need to confess your sin. You need to ask God to cleanse your heart every day. You need to go before him in prayer. Notice in verse 27 here, Moses charges the Levites to go through the camp and kill everybody, even their friends. This is fascinating. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Let every man put his sword on his side and go out and are in and out from the entrance to entrance throughout the camp and let every man kill his brother, every man his companion, every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses, and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. Then Moses said, Consecrate yourselves today to the Lord that he may bestow on you a blessing this day, for every man has opposed his son and his brother. Again, it's incredible. You know, when I read this, after seeing Moses return after hearing his judgment that there's still 3,000, maybe more than that, that are defiant. They've seen Moses. They've heard the judgment. Stand on either you're with me or you're against me. They run back to their, their tents. What are they doing in there? What are they doing? They don't want to repent. And so they're killed righteously here. Sin always does that. It numbs you to the consequence. Sin takes away all uh, sense, spiritual sensibility. It takes away those things, and you compromise. And sin brings forth what? Death. It always does. Now, this account ends here with my last point here. It's Moses' bold request for his people. 
Now it came to pass, verse 30, on the next day that Moses said to the people, you have committed a great sin, so now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, oh, these people have committed a great sin and have made for themselves a God of gold. Yet now, if you will forgive their sin, but if not, I pray, blot me out of your book, which you have written. And the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. Now, therefore, go, lead the people to the place of which I've spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit for punishment, I will visit punishment upon them for their sin. Moses was willing to stand in the gap for the people. Jesus stands in the gap for you and I. Again, Moses is a type of Christ. So the Lord says, verse 35, the Lord plagued the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron made. So there was a consequence for all these people, even though they, at the end, when Moses challenged them and they, they jumped on the side of the line that he had drawn, they jumped on his side, there was still a consequence for their sin. There was some kind of plague that followed them. But here's the conclusion. There's no way that Moses' death on, the, on behalf of the people that have sinned would have atoned for their sin. There's no way. God knows that. He says, I'll take care of the people. There's only one person that's ever lived a sinless life and died in, in your place, in my place, to atone for sin. Who is that? Jesus Christ. If you don't know him, you need to put your faith in him. If you don't know Jesus Christ, he's the one that died for your sin, but you must put your faith in him. The Bible says that you receive the gift of eternal life. You have to make a choice. You have to choose to receive that gift. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is what? Eternal life. So you have to receive that gift. Paul wrote this. I love what Paul wrote, and I'm going to end with this verse in 2 Corinthians 5. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Our intercessor, our mediator is the man, Jesus Christ. Thank God that he died for you and I. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for the study tonight. I pray that your people would receive your word gladly. I just ask, God, that you'd help us to understand how important it is for us never to compromise. And, Lord, we've done it. We've all done it in some way. Forgive us, Lord. From this account, from this historical account tonight, may we learn, may we grow, may we change, Lord. And understanding how important our prayer life is. It's so important, Lord. I could have kind of gone in that direction in my study, and I didn't, but I'm sure those of us, as we read it, we see the importance of prayer and intercession. And we pray tonight, Lord, for a loved one that has rejected you. Pray for a, a co-worker. We've been praying year after year. Lord, help us not to give up, but to continue to pray for you to open their eyes for them to receive Christ and that free gift of eternal life. So help us, Lord, not to compromise. Help us, to, Lord, to be people of prayer. 
And we'll give you thanks and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Let's all stand together.